We are delighted to have Brother John Collier. He uh, served as a, an evangelist for the Bill Rice Ranch for a number of years, then went to Waco, Waco Texas, and uh, he has been served, had served there for 39 years, 39 years in, in Waco, Texas. My oldest sister, Pat, and her husband, Tom, taught in his Christian school many years ago, and um, he recently retired from there and has been, actually, it was the first of this year, wasn't it? And March, okay. So he, he's retarded now, I mean, retired now, and uh, able to travel a little bit more than what he did before, and so we're delighted we can have him here. He's going to come and teach our Sunday school time. And he'll be preaching again this morning and tonight. Brother Collier. Uh, thank you, preacher. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Judges. You'll find it. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I love verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him, said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Then notice what he said, Thou mighty man of valor. When you stop and think about it and look at all of chapter 6, Gideon is at the wine press threshing wheat. Why would you thresh wheat at a wine press? Well, in this instance, Gideon is scared out of his gourd. He is so afraid that the Midianites are going to find him threshing some wheat, take it away from him, and his family may starve. So at night, he goes down to the wine press. And, and I don't know this, but I, I have a vivid imagination. I think Gideon is thinking, I'm all alone here. I am by myself. Nobody but me is here. And he's threshing this wheat, and all of a sudden a voice comes out, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. I don't know this, but I think Gideon may have thought, I thought I was the only Gideon here. Because I certainly am not a mighty man of valor. I don't know what he's talking about, he probably was thinking. I don't know why he would call me a mighty man of valor, but here's the key. The angel of the Lord said, you're a mighty man of valor because the Lord is with thee. 
God always makes the difference. And God is always with us. You realize that since the day of Pentecost, we are the only people in the history of mankind, we are the only group of people that the Lord is always with us. In John's Gospel, Jesus said, I'm going away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will send another comforter who is the Holy Spirit. He shall be with you, now listen to it, and he shall be in you forever. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked, but he would not necessarily abide with people. He would come and fill them and use them, but he may leave them or he may not according to what God's will was. If you remember in David's penitential psalm, in Psalm 51, he prayed this prayer, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You and I, you can pray that, but it doesn't do you any good because he's not going to leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So you and I, among all the people in all the world, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that is the same Spirit that came upon Gideon. That is the same Spirit that would come upon Samson. That is the same Spirit that would come upon David as he would go and fight the lion and the bear and then to take the head off of the giant Goliath. That same Spirit lives in you. That same Spirit lives in me. And that's why really our faith ought to become stronger and stronger and stronger. We are now living in desperate times. The matter of having faith Sometimes to people, talk, it seems mystical. You know, if I have faith, I, I probably would be somebody like a missionary, maybe a, a pastor, uh, maybe someone who writes Christian books. But you know, I work a job. I work in a factory. I, I'm a salesperson. I'm in the medical profession. I teach in the public school. I do this or I do that. No matter where God has called you, He's called you there as His representative. And He wants you to walk in that spirit that He has given and placed inside of you in order for you to be the witness and the example and the force that God intends for us to be. And I believe that every truly born-again believer desires to have more faith, a deeper faith, a greater faith. You know, Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, and he was pointing at a literal mountain. He, could say, he said, you could say to that mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and it would be done. Now, I don't know about you, but I hadn't moved a mountain yet. Well, it must take less faith than the size of a grain of mustard seed, for instance, to be saved. 
You know, the Bible teaches us that God has given to every man a measure, a, a portion of faith. We see that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. In other words, every one of you have faith. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if I have a lot of faith. I didn't say you had a lot. I said you have some. Let me prove it to you. You sat down in that chair, that bench, that pew. Now subconsciously, you thought, that'll hold me up. It won't hold you up unless you sit down in it. Now if you came in today and there were new pews here, and there was a big sign that back in the foyer and it said, we have new pews today and every one of them was built by Brother Collier. Let me tell you something, folks. Don't sit in that dude. <laughs> Do not sit in it. I, 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 I'm not, I can't build things. I can tear things up. Uh, you know, I, I tell our folks when I was pastoring at Parkview, I, I can tear up in five minutes what it'll take a good carpenter fix in two weeks. I, I'm just, I, that's not me. I, I don't do that. My dad was not a fixer-upper. I'm not a fixer-upper. And, and I really don't care. And I don't even want to learn. <laughs> but I, what, what I'm saying is, subconsciously or consciously, you knew that pew would hold you up and you sat in it. All of us have a measure of faith. How many of you drove to church today? Okay, good. Uh, you know it takes faith to get out on the roads. Have y'all noticed how truck drivers drive? I mean, going 80 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone? I mean, how'd you like that? It takes faith to ride the streets and roads now. It takes faith to get on an airplane. I have to fly a lot now, and, and uh, I don't know whether that pilot's drunk or not. I don't know if this is his first time to fly that plane. I remember one time, my dad, he, he didn't travel much at all. I took him to California with me one time. We flew out to LAX. We got there and I said, well, Dad, what would you think about it? He said, well, it's pretty good. I didn't put my weight all the way down. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If that plane goes down, you're going down too. We all have faith. The, the real essence of this is what is the object of your faith? Do you have faith in that pilot? You better have something more than that. You have faith in the pew? You better have faith more than that. See, you don't have any faith in that pew. You really have faith in the guy that put it together. The man who designed it. The man who constructed it. And that's why you and I have to get to that place to where every amount of faith that we have is in Almighty God. Well then, how do I know what God desires of me? You find it in this book. His Word leads us. His Word directs us. 
If you in your, and listen to my wording now, if you in your consistent, consecutive daily Bible reading, God will lead you day by day, moment by moment, in His will for your life. Let me illustrate that. Several years ago, I was on staff at Levon Drive Baptist in Garland, Texas, outside of Dallas. Gary Coleman was my pastor and still is. Brother Coleman called me in his office one day. I was his first youth pastor. And uh, he said, man, I've come across a deal that we can make a lot of money. Well, here I am, a young preacher, got a young wife, got a young boy. And I thought, man, I could use more money. I said, well, tell me about it. He told me about it, and he said, if you in Virginia can invest $1,000, then in 30 days it'll be $10,000. What's that old adage? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, I went home. I was so excited. I went home and Virginia and I talked about it. And we said, okay, we'll take money out of savings and, and we, we're going to do that. Man, $10,000. See, by today's economy, that would be worth uh, $8.50. <laughs> the next morning I get up and I'm reading. I read every day in the Psalms. I read every day in the Proverbs plus my other readings. and I read where it says, Labor not to be rich, for riches doth take wings and fly away. I said, better read that again. I read that again and I said, oh man, I wanted $10,000. Oh man. I went and told Virginia, I said, honey, we, we can't do that because... In my consistent, consecutive, daily Bible reading. You say, well, $10,000, you're not rich. When you don't have $10,000 and you get it, you're rich. <laughs> Boy, I was sort of embarrassed, but I went and told Pastor I couldn't do it. He said, hey man, if God told you not to do it, don't do it. About two weeks later, he came back and he said, you better be glad you didn't get in that. We've all lost our money. God has done that year after year after year after year in your consistent, consecutive daily... Listen to me. God doesn't talk out loud to people now. He talks in the book. God who at sundry times in diverse manners has spoken unto the prophets in these last days has spoken to us by His Son. This is the Jesus book. Sign language. It's the Jesus book. Faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. So in your consistent, consecutive, daily Bible reading, your faith would begin to increase. Faith also is action. Faith is not dead. Faith is living. We have faith in a living God. We have faith in a living Savior. We have faith in an almighty God who is still the ruler of all who is sovereign over the whole of creation. Have you ever... Don't, 
talk out loud, but maybe think about this. Have you ever known that you really felt strongly that God wanted you to do something, but you didn't have the faith to do it? I don't know how many times I've had that. Boy, I remember when we were going to buy our first travel trailer, going into evangelism, and and I, I, I knew it was God's will for us to have a trailer. I knew He wanted us to do that. I had Scripture for it. But man, to step out and buy that, living on love offerings, not knowing whether you could pay for it or not. I went and talked to Dr. Bill Rice. And I said, Dr. Bill, I said, this probably is a crazy, foolish question, but if you know what God wants you to do, but you don't have the faith to do it, what do you do? He said, oh, John, that's easy. Just do what you would do if you had the faith. (laughs) Now let that sink in. You know what he says? You step out on the promise of God and watch God do those great and mighty things that you don't know about. Now, folk, you and I are living in very, very difficult times. Now, I'm not a pessimist, but I am a realist. And I don't believe we've seen the worst of it yet. Now, I'm going to maybe scare some of you on this statement. I believe that you and I are the generation that's going to experience the rapture of the church. I told the Lord the other day, Lord, if you don't come back soon, you're going to miss a golden opportunity. (laughs) You know why? You, You look at it prophetically, He has lined the nations up exactly as they are in the tribulation period. The world situation is such that we're going to start seeing as never before in our lifetime famines, disease, pestilence. The two greatest producers of wheat in the world are Russia and Ukraine. And they can't do it now to their ability because of the war that's going on. And if they are providing the wheat which becomes bread and everything else, then what happens? Then you have famines. That gives on to disease and pestilence. As I said, the nations of the revised Roman Empire are all there together. The armies of the north, Germany, Russia, China, Now they're getting all into affiliations. The armies of the south, Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia. India is now even coming in with the communist countries. In other words, what I'm saying is, and by the way, God can wait a thousand years if He wants to. He is sovereign. He can do what He wants to. But I think that you and I are beginning to see things begin to come to pass that are going to come in full fruition in the seven-year tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week. All of those things are not going to start 
just when they signed the peace treaty with Israel. They all of a sudden began. They're going to start building up. And we see that happening even in our lifetime. God's blessings or God's blighting on God's people is always a result of the sins of God's people, not because of the unsaved. Yet, you remember two cities in Genesis called Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know how many times I've heard preachers say, boy, this rise in the homosexuality, we're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to me very carefully. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because He couldn't find ten righteous. Remember what He said to Abraham? If I can find ten righteous, I'll spare the city. Why? Because if He has ten, He can have twenty. If He has twenty, He can get thirty. Righteousness can grow through righteous people sharing their righteous faith in God with other people. God judges because of the sin and indifference of His people. Not because of the wickedness of the world. Stop thinking about this. Sin never has been good. Sin has been here since the Garden of Eden. It will be here until Jesus says, time shall be no more. And we enter that eternal state. And so we are in the situation that we're in, just like Gideon was in that situation with Israel because of the sins of the people. They had turned their back on Jehovah God. They had gone after the gods of the people in whose land they dwelt. They were living a sinful life in the presence of holy God. And God was allowing the enemies to overrun them. You remember what he said to Moses and to Joshua? To utterly destroy the people, vanish them out of the land. But they did not do that. And those that they left in the land became their stumbling block and they began to follow the gods of the heathens that they were supposed to vanquish out of the land. God's people. We, at least I witness this in my life when dealing with others. There's such an unwillingness or a fear of God's people to be God's people. You know, I, I ask our folk at home, do you ever get embarrassed about thank, thank, you know, thanking God for your food when you're in a restaurant by yourself? You know, when I bow my head, you know, of course I pray to myself, I don't, you know, bow my head and I bow my sense. Oh, God of creation, you know, I don't do that. But I do thank God for my food. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder what people think about me. And then the thought comes, I hope they think I love Jesus. I hope they think that I'm not ashamed of Him. I want to wear that badge. Here they are in desperate straits. And they begin to cry. God shows up. Thou mighty man of valor, surely I will 
be with thee. Well, preacher, I, I want to have a greater faith, but it just seems to elude me. And, and, and I just wonder, does God think I doubt Him? Let, let, let me share something. God is way bigger than you ever could imagine Him to be. God can handle your doubts. God can handle my doubts. God can handle my questions. Well, I've heard, don't ever question God. Ooh, Jesus did. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm not a grammarian, but I think that's a question. Why hast thou forsaken me? You and I, we can be weak in our faith, but the angel of God, when he looked at Gideon, he didn't see what he was, he saw what he was going to be. And he was going to become a mighty man of valor. How did he do that? By obedience. Boy, this, this, is, this is key. And that is becoming an obedient Christian. Let me, let me, what time is it? Okay, I got, I don't know, what time is it? Okay, I still got some time. When you and I know what God wants us to do, but we're scared to do it, what we have to do is, is determine, does, is God leading me in this? Is this what God wants me to do, desires for me to do? Then, by faith, just do it. Amen. Step out in faith. And by the way, <laughs> God will never lead you to do anything that He's not going to supply the means and methods whereby to do it. I was trying to think, Brother Tim, you may know, there was a great preacher who said, behind every promise of God is His omnipotence. You think about that. God will do, perform everything He says He will do. That's why you and I, that's why you and I can have a, an assurance that when we die, we're going to heaven. The only assurance you have is, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. If nothing else in Scripture lead us to believe that Jesus loves us and going to take us to heaven, that does. It was His Word Himself. I get so tickled in prophecy, people talking about, well, what about this sign? What about that sign? Oh, we know Jesus coming because this sign. No, let me tell you something. We know Jesus is coming back because He said He would. He said He would. You know how you can know you're saved? Because Jesus said if you would receive Him as your, your personal Savior, He would save you. And as many as come unto Him, He'll in no wise cast out. You act on the Word. Gideon calls for people to come to fight. Thousands come. God says to Gideon, that's too many. You sure, Lord? I mean, I was going to make another call, see if we get a few more. No, that's too many. Tell them if they're afraid, go home. Are you kidding me, Lord? I'd go home myself if I wasn't a leader. Thousands leave. 
He says, too many. Too many. Take them down to the brook. Watch them drink water. If they drink like a dog, just sticking their head in, send them home. But if they watch for the enemy and they pick the water up, he ends up with 300 on my soul. From thousands to 300. You know what God did? He beat the stuffings out of the Midianites. And guess what? He received all the glory for it. But Israel received the reward. God gets the glory, we get the benefit. God gets the glory, we get the benefit. It's amazing when you realize this same ideal of obedience, performance, blessing. It happens. But what about you and me? What does God require of me in the matter of obedience? Absolute obedience. 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Because to disobey is like witchcraft. Rebellion, which is disobedience. Sometimes, you know, we, we say the word rebellion, and in my mind, I picture somebody shaking their fist in God's face and saying, I'm not going to do something. That is rebellion. But rebellion is also this. Pastor preaches. Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about a decision and you don't do it. That is rebellion. Rebellion is just simple disobedience to God. I was with my son a couple of months ago. I don't know how the subject came up. And he said, you know, one time Mama spanked me because of a look on my face. And I told him, I said, well, I thought you was ugly your whole life, so I, I probably should have been spanking you all the time for that. I said, tell me about it. And he told her to do something, or she told him to do something, and he did it, but he had a, I don't want to do it, look on his face. She said, she spanked me for an expression on my face. I said, did she read your mind? He said, yes, sir. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. It's like a little boy. His daddy told him to sit down. He just stood up. He said, sit down. Finally, he sat down. He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. We do that with God. God speaks to your heart, says you need to make this decision. You need to be do, do this. You need to obey me. And we just don't do it. It's rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's how God looks at our disobedience. Do you really believe you can trust God? Honestly, I mean, do you think you can trust Him? Will not the God of all the earth do good? Absolutely. Every time. Every time.
Obedience. Simple obedience. This week, we can have a meeting or we can have revival. I'll be honest with you. I'm tired of meetings. I want to see God do something. But the only way God can do it is if you and I allow Him to so clean us up, to so get us in touch with Him, that we become truly the people of God.